0: Hi, I'm Paul Ford, and this is Track Changes, the official podcast of the Postlight Agency. I'm joined by my co-founder,
1: Rich Diatti. Rich, what does Postlight do? You do this to me every time. Postlight is a digital studio that builds and designs amazing products in New York City. That's the way I remember. Open
0: for business. Anybody who wants a job or us to do some work, just come on by. Just swing by any What Or if you want to just build something beautiful. Better would probably be to send us an email to contact at postlight.com. That lets us you know, address your issues
1: more yeah. in a more controlled environment. I call them dreams, but you can call them issues. Fine. Rich, we're very lucky today. Do you know why? I do know why. Though I don't know. Is How? it spires or spears? Spires. Spires. I, I sometimes
2: respond to Spears anyway, just because so many people say it. and yeah. I can't be bothered. I know they're talking to me. I mean, so. should
0: we give her first name as well? <laughs> Elizabeth. Oh, we did it. Elizabeth Spires is in the studio. Yeah. Hi. Hello. Who <laughs> is... It's a rough start. we got to bring this up a little <laughs> Who bit. Who is come Elizabeth on, on. Spires? I think of Elizabeth Spires as both a human being and essentially a human media platform. <laughs> Full like, blown. No, no, for real, for real. Because yeah. it's like... If you have watched her career over time, it's like, oh, hey, she shows up in 2002. And the, I, I was a baby at that point. I, I mean, not really. Like, I was an adult, but I had no idea what was going on in the world. And suddenly there's this new thing called Gawker.com. And the, the slogan of Gawker was radical Manhattanism. Whew. That made everybody really angry. <laughs> and you were the editor. Yeah. And so that was like okay, well this person's an editor. And then like a couple years later, all these mailing lists started happening. And like, how do you articulate what you do?
2: Um, it sort of depends on what I'm working on at, at the moment because I I feel like even in even within the confines of media, I've done a lot of different things. You know, I've been a writer, I've been an editor, I've done digital launches, I've worked on the business side, I've been an entrepreneur. So it sort of depends on the context and whatever's happening at the moment. I tell people I'm a digital media nerd. I've somehow figured out how to create jobs out of that.
0: We worked together on a project years ago and it was it was for Condé Nast, the big magazine publishing company. Not just magazines anymore. And we had this situation, we were creating this new digital platform for the iPad and blah, 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 blah. And we, we were making it and it was really cool. And then somebody was like, well, we're going to have to like hire a staff and actually build the publication. And I realized I had no idea exactly how to do that. And I looked around and like nobody else did. And then that's your job. Like We called you up and you're like, yep, got it. I'll see you later. Just let me get this done for you. And you went ahead and staffed this whole thing, probably hired about 10 people, got it moving along. So is there actually a title for that job?
2: I don't know. Whenever I've done it for other companies, I've just referred to myself as a launch consultant. But what you're really doing there is you're coming in and you're either being a kind of editor in chief slash publisher for hire, or in some cases an entrepreneur. If you're building something that's more product oriented and trying to figure out how to monetize it, and it's almost it like acting audience.
1: acting product manager, acting editor in chief. Yeah, it's not long term. You're going to sort of put the wheels in motion and then
2: yeah, no, you're a shameless mercenary. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. What, what kind of decisions are you making? Like, is the first thing you're doing like just going where's my budget? What's going on? like? What? How do you start a job like that?
2: I think for me like I, I don't have a long discovery process because you can normally suss out pretty quickly what the client thinks they want, and then you ask them in a way that makes them comfortable telling you what they think it's gonna cost, okay uh in an honest way how do you then, do, wait, you, how
0: do you do that you just unless this is a trade secret
2: uh, you make them comfortable with the framing. I think you just say up front, if they ask you about budget first, you go, well. And and this isn't a trade secret. This is what everybody does. You say, we can work with whatever you're thinking about. And then, you know, you get them to articulate what exactly their expectation of the products is going to be, what their expectations of staffing are going to be. And, you know, in most cases, everybody undershoots budgets.
0: There's a lot of editorial fantasies about budgets. I have no. Yeah. People are just like, I think for like a hundred thousand dollars a year, we can take on CNN. And you're like, yeah,
2: no, that's that's nuts. I, I've dealt with a lot of that, and particularly this is one area where my background might handicap me a little bit because everybody remembers the origin story of Gawker, at least the people that hire me <laughs> do, and they have. Wait, what
0: is that origin story? Yeah, I want to hear uh,
2: that. That basically, you know, Nick and I said, let's just try this. We didn't think it was really going to be a business, so So it Nick was Denton just at that me. point was
0: not a crazy supervillain that everybody had weird opinions about, but just some guy, right?
2: Uh I think...
1: Some he, would argue he's still some guy. I think
2: he yeah. was... I mean, the thing is, I met him two weeks after he'd moved to New York, and he had already done moreover in First Tuesday, so he was a known quantity, you know, okay. I think, for, for a lot of people, even in media. And he had a well-read blog, and so... You know, I, th- I thought Gawker was going to be a 10-hour week kind of thing, and okay. we ended up spiraling out of control into a full-time job. How did but you meet him? it was just uh, at a meta-filter party.
0: Oh, this it's is The am- best kind of party. That's of right. That. No, no, we've talked about this. We've actually, I think, maybe even talked about this specifically on the show, because we've had both the Neil Dash and Matt Howie on.
2: Yeah, well, okay. and Neil introduced us.
0: Oh, he, like, literally said, like, you two guys? Yeah. I okay. also
2: met Corey Sika at the party.
0: Wow. That was that was a hell of a party. I think Neil <laughs> introduced everyone to everyone else. I know, but this is a wild party, because out of this, the entire thing was born. Okay, so you yeah. and Nick are like, all right. You're like, okay, I'll help you with your blog.
2: Kind of. I mean, Nick and I got to be close friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we met at the filter thing, and then um, I started dating one of his friends, and... This guy, Peter, and I broke up, or Peter dumped me, and Nick and I stayed friends. And and I think for a while there, we we were both mutually interested in blogging, but we were working on other stuff.
0: Okay, so this happens. Yeah. You're you're in there. You're starting Gawker.
2: Yeah, and I, I think we thought, you know, let's, let's see what happens. Nick wanted to figure out how to monetize it, but he was working on a software project at the time that he was calling the Lafayette Project. Kenja. Yeah. Well, it, it later morphed into Kenji. Oh, okay. I think originally it was supposed to be a more commercialized technorati.
0: Oh, uh, And then role. it just
2: kind of never got out the door. And by that time, Gizmodo was up, Gawker was up, and they were both having some success. And Nick thought, well, maybe this is my business. You know? Okay. How long were you there? Uh, 10 months. Oh, I have it in my head as much longer. What happened after uh, It seems like it was longer. Uh, and partly because for the first five months, I was writing every day, and mm-hmm. I was doing 12 posts a day.
0: Whoa. So yeah. you set that pace.
2: Yeah. Well, I didn't really set that pace. Nick was like, it's got to be 12 posts a day. And, and you know- What's it, the
1: premise? Like, you're writing 12 posts a day. It's called, okay, Gizmodo. Okay, yeah. fine. New, Do
0: you new, ask new, the new. guy in the locomotive who's like shoveling the coal in what the premise is? He's got to just, mean, there's a
1: fire. <laughs> I mean Gizmodo. There's a sort of hidden, not even hidden, just gizmos, phones. Yeah. Right. Battery Bat- cases. Radical Manhattanism was the right. premise. Right. So okay. So Gizmodo. like, oh cool. I get to hear about tech stuff. Gawker. What was the premise? I mean, did it? Gawker, it re- was it um, fully formed at that point?
2: No. Okay. Nick so and wh- I had had similar, you know, I think worldviews about you know, New York culture, and so. I was a big admirer of Spy Magazine and Suck.com. com, You know, I like those things tonally. I like Private Eye. Okay. Uh, I liked The Observer during its heyday. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, maybe we can replicate something mm. like that online that would, or to, something I tonally see. similar with, with a take on what it means to be part of New York culture. But. Got it. Okay. And do but it still. online,
0: which was very novel at that Like to try to bring yeah. a kind of elevated but also yeah. journalistic voice. Like it wasn't personal. Yeah. it was about other people. Yeah. And it was gossipy and that was like that was kind of a big deal in that moment cuz yeah. most blogs I mean were about like I don't remember like when Gothamist started but there were very few it was a very nascent scene where people were like this could be used for something besides Yeah. not just talking about what you ate that day but like something besides like just random tech musings. Yeah. Or,
2: yeah, I think during the time I sort of remember that if you were blogging in 2000 or 99, like you either had a personal blog or a live journal that was about your life, or you were writing about technology or you were writing about politics, but there really weren't subject driven blogs.
0: Okay, so you show up and then uh, on to New York Magazine.
2: Yeah, partly for financial reasons. I mean, Nick had agreed to pay me 1500 bucks a month to work on it, and then whenever I Demanded to take weekends off because it was exhausting me. He cut stipend to like twelve hundred bucks, which, if you know Nick, is such a Nick thing to do. But uh,
0: well, the company was famous for. I mean, it was famous for like you could kind of get away with anything, but you were incredibly impoverished. Well, I think
2: the the assumption was you could just freelance on top of it, which you could, but then you're working seventy hours a week, and it's 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 still exhausting. And and I just didn't want it enough.
0: Just didn't want it enough. uh, (laughs) Yeah.
2: I guess. <laughs> so, you, so you went and worked for. A week. I really wanted to pay my rent. Sure, so. and
0: have a life, maybe see friends and, occasionally. Yeah. yeah, it's not really what writing's about, but okay, fine. <laughs> so, and then yeah, you're writing, and you're at New York Magazine, and then you make the like very quickly in a New York career. Like, I don't know if a lot of our listeners are very technology-oriented people. Like, to go from founding ed- editor Gawker. dot com after growing up in. Alabama. Okay. So, yeah. Alabama, New York City, Gawker, New York Magazine, and then editor in chief of Media Bistro
1: after like two years. Yeah.
0: That's a big deal. That's pretty crazy. Does, yeah. does
1: your family back in Alabama know who you are two years in?
2: No. Like,
1: <laughs> I got to imagine, <laughs> no, you're I mean, in you another know, planet. Are they my, on the web
2: then? My dad isn't. You know, my, my mom is now, but I think that's, you know, she's a grandma and there's Facebook. Yeah. You know, my but dad 2004. Oh, no. I mean, you know, my dad's a l- retired a few years ago, but he was a local lineman for Alabama Power. Got like, it. A- until a few years ago, he'd never been on the internet. And this was after right. I'd been working on the internet for years. He's a shameless, happy Luddite. He still has a flip phone and just learned to text like six months ago, did it once and refuses to do it again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what made wow. you decide on New York City, though? What, what was uh, it I was
2: So I, I went to school in North Carolina, Duke, and I wanted to work in foreign policy, and I just couldn't find a job, or at least not one that paid. But I had started a – co-founded a nonprofit while I was there, and I, I sort of found doing that – it was like running a small business, and I think that was the first my first entrepreneurial experience. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, the first dot-com boom was ramping up, and I thought – well, if I can't work in foreign policy, I want to work in a startup because I want to see what it's like to be in a real entrepreneurial environment. So I started dropping resumes, and my first job was at a company called the com, which was an early social network. It was in the 55 Broad Building,
0: sure, uh,
2: the, the quote-unquote first wired building in New York because they had a T1, and that was Whoa. a big deal. A T1 line. <laughs> yeah. That's,
0: everyone has that like on their phone now. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> so – There's a thing that's interesting there that really surprised me, which is that, and you sort of gloss over it, you're like, oh, and when I was in college, I'd set up a not-for-profit. Like, Mm -hmm. most people don't set up not-for-profit. So, you seem to be someone who really does like to set up kind of like organizations and institutions.
1: Yeah. A lot of people at college talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) They talk a lot about that.
0: Like I would have been too scared. I would have been like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Like that's, you know, that's for the very capable people like you who are like living down the hall in the dorm. Yeah. What, what gets you over that? You're like, oh, let's start an organization, get people involved, call them up, tell them they need to get over here. Was that just always I think,
2: you? No, I, I'm a little oblivious to risk sometimes. Like I, I don't, I, I feel like I take a lot of calculated risk, and and I don't really recognize it as risk at all. Like you know, we're starting a new company now, and I don't see taking a staff job somewhere is something that's necessarily more stable
0: fair i mean there's something i was talking about this with with rich as we were walking over temperamentally and i really respect both choices but rich has young children you have a very young child i have two young children he and i just started a business together you're starting a business like and i I feel that like at this point every single cell in my body should be screaming go get a stable job you can get a stable job you can be somewhere you can work for a while You can make sure that the kids are provided for. But my brain just won't allow it.
2: Well, I also just kind of, you know, I would question the premise. You know, are there stable jobs for people like us?
0: (sighs) Not in the media industry. That's true. I feel
2: that. (laughs) You're no
1: longer in that industry, Paul. No, and I, well, not anymore. You're now a technology entrepreneur. I
0: feel
2: that anyone
0: who gets past the age of about 32 or 33 in media, and is still in the business has proven that they're kind of actually crazy. Like it's a crazy And very business. resilient. Yeah. And mm,
1: resilient. Right. And like if people are still writing and doing things. The word that things. comes to mind, I mean, I've gotten to know a lot of people in that world through you. hmm And the word that comes to mind, because you've introduced me to a lot of people, is hustle. Yeah. You have to hustle to, like to thrive the, at all. Yeah. I mean, the rest of the world is thinking, I'm up for my promotion in two years and I'll get a bonus at the end of this year. Which is fine. I mean, I don't mean to say that in a derogatory way, but those are smooth waters. Those are very still waters that you're just sort of drifting down. And in media, I mean, it's just not the case. First, even inside of big media organizations, it's pretty freaking ruthless. It's not like you can do that inside those, because there is a guy walking around with a machete all the time. That's your how are you? From my observations.
0: Elizabeth, how are you at Media World Politics? Are you good?
2: I think when I've had to do it, I've been okay. But I, I will say, I think because I don't like heavy bureaucracy in politics, and I, I try to not put myself in situations or engagements where I feel like I spend most mm. of my time doing that. If I have to do it a little bit, it doesn't bother me. You know, when we were working for Connie Nas, like, I enjoyed that project, yeah, and I didn't— As, you know, as I'm
1: looking at your timeline here, Elizabeth— You've got the itch. You didn't stick around anywhere for seven well, years.
2: Well, I didn't really have a choice the first okay. decade of my career because I constantly needed to make more money, and I yeah. went from making... Literally, I, I got my um ten ninety nine back for Gawker, and I made $13,000 total doing it. I had those for the years. years. That's yeah, a bad and, year. Yeah, and just yeah. to get to yeah, that's rough. a period where I could pay rent and student loans, yeah. I had to switch jobs four times. Yeah. So yeah. I, I have an acquaintance who at the time was... Uh, Sort of making fun of me in a blog and saying, like, I, I was a job hopper and I had no attention span. And I thought, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you can pay your rent. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Like, actual compensation is, is an issue for me right now.
1: Right. I respect that. I just want to mm-hmm. say that,
2: yeah, I don't think it's a bad
1: to have an itch and to get to have a short attention span and explore and want to be in other places. And I don't think it's bad to want to make some money. If you can do both, that's awesome. Yeah. Then you've hit it, right? Mm. But, Let's face it, you could have settled in somewhere.
2: Well, where? Like, which of those Uh, jobs do you think I could have stayed at? Maybe Maybe not not any of these. My point is
1: you could have been sort of, uh, you know, in the middle of the blob of Condé or, you know, one of the bigger publishers and just done a really good job and made sure that your boss was happy and all is well. Yeah, I think if I were going to do
2: that, I probably would have stayed at New York Magazine. Because I was, you know, I wasn't unhappy there. I had, you know, it was a great work environment. I was working with smart people and for smart people. And what really killed me about it is, you know, I I never really got to write anything. I was super junior. And I think when Adam Moss came in, you know, I learned a lot from him. But the likelihood that I was going to write anything was lower. Oh, really? Um, Okay. The listeners
0: may not know who he is. He's famously tough editor in New York City.
2: And so I just, you know, I thought... I could stay here for a decade and, you know, not really accomplish anything. And, you know, I would probably be perfectly happy going into work every day. But, you know, I I don't operate like that. You know, I need mm-hmm. to be occupied all the time and I need yeah. you know to and be pl- working on stuff.
0: You have like a little secret skill rolling around in there, too, which is that you can set up institutions and organizations and build communities, which actually mm-hmm. is one of the things that the media industry got itself in so much trouble over like the last 15 years because it – It didn't acknowledge that as a skill all the time. And so given what you've actually done, the things that you would go on and do, and the kind of connection point you became throughout the industry, it would have made a lot more sense for some of the institutions you worked for, like New York Mag or whatever, to actually try to hold on to that. Mm -hmm. But throughout the entire time I've been in the city, it's never been a strength of the industry. They're just like, oh, she's really good at like,
1: Community, but I don't know, what are we gonna oh, it's do the same it? reason that I mean, there's a, there's a certain <coughs> institutional arrogance. I think that you say, well, wait a minute, we've got someone that thinks about things a little differently and and wants to reset the game a bit. Most of the time, it doesn't land well. That's why they they look across the street at a BuzzFeed and they're like, what the hell is that, right? Because there was somebody walking around Condé or wherever and saying, I've got, I think we should do it this way, and they just get shit on, and then. It happens elsewhere. That's why disruption happens across the street. Yeah, I think right?
2: also your know, media companies just don't have a lot of incentives toward entrepreneurial thinking. Yeah, at all. You know, they, they tend to take cues from whatever's happening and the monetization so sad when side.
0: they try to create them too. It's so tough. And <laughs> they're like, we have
1: to. <laughs> there we're... are some good ones, like. Even though I think it's it's knocked it down a, a notch, I do think the Atlantic Wire is a success. No, no I was. Just I think over, Quartz I was, is a success. I, I mean, was over again. today
0: at, at Slate where they have Panoply, the the podcast network, and that thing yeah. is clearly humming. Like, yeah, they, and they you're starting to chances.
1: see yeah. they're starting to figure it out, and they're starting to realize, hey, listen, we better we better get going. Time Inc.'s got a lot of interesting initiatives. I mean, whether they can execute them on them or not is another matter. But they realize, look, we have to do something. We have to reset things here. And go down a path where originally we thought we don't need to, but we actually have to. So I think there's more of it today, but that's because it's 11th hour for a lot of them. Let's skip ahead to now where
0: you have a very little baby at home requiring lots of attention. (laughs) You have a busy life. You have a broad social network. You were charging people to go to lunch with you for a while. How much did it cost?
2: Uh, well, it was like a mini consulting engagement. No, I, I mean wrong. it was
0: legit. But yeah, what, what it was, was like it? Four hundred
2: it bucks. It's a good lunch.
0: Would you pay for lunch, or did they pay
1: for lunch?
2: They paid for lunch. All right, Whoa. that's
1: good. Well, because otherwise it'd be like, let's go to Per Se, and and uh, all, uh, yeah. So wait, they then they could ping you with questions and.
2: The way, the way it worked was. Uh, you know there there are a lot of clients that I would like to work with, but they were just too small you know they didn't really have budgets and in a lot of cases they they really had like two or three thorny problems they yeah. were trying to fix yeah and so the deal was like you basically for four hundred bucks you get four hours of consulting, one of which is us talking over lunch. You send me some details where we do a call about what you're thinking about brilliant and, and you know and I give you as much feedback and help did you I get can this anyway. did you come up with this idea? yeah.
1: This is an entrepreneur here. Well, no, this is the thing. Like, this is she productized lunch. That's the thing. I mean, that, this <laughs> is why
0: I, I'm always really interested to see what you're up to because you're you're reacting by creating businesses and opportunity instead of throwing your arms up in the air and going, yeah. I, "This change is annoying." Or how many blog posts have I seen in my life which are just like, "I don't have time for all the lunches and free advice." And you're like, actually, wait a minute. If we just put this little physical threshold in here, how did those engagements go? Did you name, did you brand it, f- by
1: the way? Is it called?
2: I don't, I can't remember if I did. I Spires think it was just Like, Yeah, something like that. Sp- <laughs> uh, it worked in a couple of cases. It also blew up with me in, in one case because I sort of like stupidly agreed to make a couple of follow-up calls to the client. And somehow this guy thought that he'd hired me for an entire consulting engagement. And after interviewing several of his, employees and, and, you know, giving him advice. He wanted me to basically go fix the problem for him. And he was like, well, I don't feel like I got my 400 bucks worth. Uh, and, you know, uh, I had effectively, like, lost money on that. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, boy. But also he was just, uh, you know, kind of top. Also eating over with someone. The top, and, like, I, you know, was sending me nasty emails. and Over thought, his $400. Well, you know, Did you like,
1: eat together? Yeah. God, isn't that weird? I mean, in my culture, and many cultures, it's, you know, sitting down and eating with someone is a very... Personal, intimate experience. No, only the Lebanese do that. Everyone oh. else, it's just you. Just throw the food and your then kick the person in the face. <laughs> no, I mean,
0: yeah, of course, of course it is.
1: So, I mean, you must have had lunches where you're just staring down at your salad.
2: Uh, not really. I mean, mm-hmm. most of the people that I talked to were, first of all, entrepreneurs who who had small got businesses. Okay, and, and got generally speaking, yeah. Un- and un- and coming... I love talking to those people because I, yeah. you know, I'm in their shoes. As well, and yeah. you know we, we we understand each other. Yeah, massively. I'm not going to
0: sit there and like freak out over the burger. I'm going to come with like a list of questions and get my get my money's yeah. worth out yeah. of the lunch. Sure. What were the questions people would ask when young entrepreneurs or up and coming entrepreneurs want to want to ask you things like what were they asking you?
2: Uh, in a lot of cases, they were running websites that were ad dependent and they couldn't they'd hit a plateau with traffic and didn't know how to monetize or you know they weren't big enough to have a sales team or do anything besides network based display ads and that's a tough spot to be in because then you're really it's not even a small business in a lot of cases it's like a kind of hobby that you might be monetizing to an extent
0: so i come to you and i'm like hey elizabeth i've got this site got about a million uniques a month i can't make google ads work anymore what do you really want to say to me at that point? Like, it's a site about dog care. Should I keep going?
1: <laughs> do you ever tell anyone to shut it down?
2: Uh, no, but I've never come across anybody who was so delusional about where they hmm. were and what their options were that you needed okay. to do that.
0: I just love that as a concept. Like, I I, and yeah, I, I really thought cool. it was just like the gutsiest move to be like, all right, look, I can't deal with the demand for people who need my advice. Let's just do it this way.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, I would still quietly take coffees and things with people, but there's there's like a certain kind of client that if you, A, they don't really have a budget to utilize yeah. you in any meaningful way, but they don't want to just get coffee with you and they're not always, you have to suss out in some way whether they're really going to be respectful of your time. Sure. And saying like, I am going to charge you something for it is a threshold. Like it kind of weeds well, out all- the people that are going to just endlessly demand that you do your job for them for free. Right. It's
0: transactional, right? And it just it actually puts you in a simpler place where you're like, I can actually help you here. Yeah. And you're not constantly going like, oh, this is another person trying to get free advice. Yeah.
1: What is this new company? Yeah. It's an awesome name.
2: Thank you. It's an agency with a research focus. So it's an agency and a research boutique. What is uh, it called? The Insurrection.
0: The Insurrection. <laughs> it's just great. I've you're seen there. the trailer. In a world. Yeah. Okay. So when did this start?
2: Uh, we started it technically five weeks ago. Like, we've been talking about it for a few months. Oh, and, um, baby. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's exciting. Who's we?
2: Uh, so my number two guy is a guy named Michael Woodsmall who's worked on and off again with me for eight years, and he started out as my intern. And so we've worked on a lot of launches together. He cool. kind of knows what my process is, and is. So elevator. I hate the term. Do you like the term elevator pitch? I hate
0: the term elevator pitch. Yeah.
2: Well, I want. I want to hear... All right,
1: all right, elevator I, pitch. I'm at the cocktail... Oh, no, cocktail party pitch.
0: Have you ever been, hear, I've never been
1: to a cocktail You probably got the party. paragraph. Did you do the yeah. paragraph in your head? Yeah. Okay, I'd love to hear it.
2: So we're an agency and research firm that specializes in virtual reality. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not to say it's the only thing we do because it's not... You know, I also have clients that want digital launches in the same sure. way that I've done historically. So
1: Interesting.
0: So I come to you and I go, all right, I know we have to deal with this. Am I a brand or am I a media organization?
2: Uh, Right now, both.
0: Okay. Well, actually, they're all all supposed to be both, really. Uh, So I come to you and I go like, we want to do something special with VR. And I saw that thing they did in the Times. What do I do?
2: I think it depends on your level of sophistication about VR and and also what kind of budgets you're talking about and what you want to accomplish.
0: I have $44,000. The Times that we should mention
1: what we what you mean by the Times. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, The New York Times is doing virtual reality. It's really cool. They'll send you this cardboard Google VR thing. Yeah. And they have an app. And you can enter a world where people pay for journalism. No, it's free. It's just, it's a fantasy it's world. good. That was my point it's, there. It's oh, a bad okay. joke. Yeah, but, sorry. I missed it. Do you have I think to be a you paying can, subscriber? Uh, oh, I it. believe it's free. Oh, okay. I think you can download the app, and there. I think they've only done like 10 of It's great
0: of them. that you and I are sitting here talking about yeah. virtual reality as well, co- when we happen to have this woman let's who ta- is let's the next Let's speak to the leader. insurrectionist. <laughs> okay, I mean, honestly, we're in tech. I have worked across media. I'm paying attention to VR, but I really don't even, like, I don't even know what I should know.
2: Yeah, well, right now, it's it's so new right now, it's it's difficult for a lot of people to really understand what the implications are. But they're, they're what I think of as gateway drugs to serious VR, and, and 360 video is one of those. You know, I think it was smart yeah. for the times to, to start there. But there are kinds of VR that you see in everyday life, but you just don't think of them yeah. that way. So, for instance, Snapchat filters. That's yeah. augmented reality, and they're and they're putting a lot of money as an institution yeah. into augmented reality R&D. Okay. But if you ask the average Snapchatting 13-year-old whether they have ever experienced augmented reality, they would say no. No. Because it's seamless, and you don't think of it that way. Yeah. It's it just awesome. is what
1: – it is – your phone or your tech or whatever. It just is what it is. I
0: just saw something today where they put a bunch of kids on a school bus and they had sort of um, glass windows that turned to screens dynamically and the kids weren't aware. It's like called Field Trip to Mars. And they're just like Whoa. driving around. And so what happens is the bus picks up the vibration and then that shows in the windows Whoa. which are showing Martian terrain. That's and then insane. I'm like, what brand sponsored this? And I couldn't quite figure it out. So yeah. I mean, there's clearly stuff going on. Yeah. Golden
1: grams. Yeah. <laughs> From Mars. <laughs> From Mars. Can I share a VR experience? And you tell me if I sure. did this wrong. So it was the uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue came out with the VR app. And it's one of those. Yeah, you did this wrong. Wait, hold on. It, It 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 gets better. So I get the app, and then I pick a girl. And then when you pick the girl, it tells you, okay, put your phone in the goggles or whatever. And I put them on, and it was it was me in my backyard on a lounge chair, and I could look around and see the backyard, and there were other like there's a backyard furniture and a barbecue, and over to the left was one of the swimsuit models showering in an outdoor shower. Okay. Okay. But that was it. Is this a dream or an experience? No. Okay. No. No. And the thing was, I couldn't. I couldn't do anything. Okay. So uh, what? What th- did you want to do? I wanted to get out of my chair. Okay. I yeah. want to get up in the backyard and walk over to her and say, "Hey, you look pretty clean," or, so- <laughs> or something. Do you need right? shampoo? Yeah. Is that Pantone? This, it was honestly surreal. Like all I could do was look around, and she was this out of reach being that. Because I was crippled. Well,
0: that's like your whole adolescence, right? I was you a just crippled
1: man the whole in yeah. a backyard chair, and she was showering 11 feet away. And by the way, wasn't noticing that I existed. So she, it's not like she was chatting with me while she was showering. Okay, you've told us this. What? So <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is, it felt a little like I climbed into her backyard. There was that too. <laughs> I felt like I was an intruder, and she hadn't noticed me yet. So it was completely weird. It was really, really weird.
2: I think that's actually one of the challenges of 360 video and and documentary format is that it's realistic enough that, you know, A, you get into especially anything that's like a really beautiful landscape. There's something happening narratively over here and you're you're looking up and down and exploring it. While these people are talking, you almost feel rude, like you're somebody who walked into somebody else's <laughs> right. conversation. I've noticed as well. Like you just, you're like... It's a little
0: odd. It's just, it's such a creeper, stalker kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But
2: it actually, the scenario actually really illustrates the difference between 360 video and like full immersion VR. So let's, let's imagine that instead of this being 360 video, yeah. you had, you know, an HTC Vive and you had full body haptics. And when you went into this simulation... Yeah the woman you were looking at is reacting to you. You know, you look at her, she looks back, she responds to whether or not you're making gestures mm. toward so her, if I which wave, is how,
1: if I wave to her, she'll wave back. Yeah. For example.
2: Yeah, so in, in full immersion VR, like that, that's, you that's know, normal. a piece of it. Yeah. Um, what, full are we, immersion, what are haptics? So anything that uses gestures to kind of control what's happening. Oh, so so you like think of like VR hands. gloves okay. or things that, you know, there there are controllers. That, pick up new
1: motions Okay. Yeah. off your body.
0: Now how m- are you messing around in VR all day? Is this something you're doing? Uh,
2: now? no, I would if I could, but I still have to bring in business. But if <laughs> I come if I come
0: over <laughs> to the office and you're like sitting at the desk are there goggles on? No. Oh, that's no. so disappointing. I want to I mean with-
2: that, I feel like that's the sort of vision of for instance the people who are developing the Hololens because Microsoft right. tends to build things that are that can be used in enterprise basis and they imagine that, you know, the three of us could have a meeting where we're all in and three, we're three, three states dimensional states And we're three-dimensional to one yeah. another, yeah. I've heard yeah. about
1: that. You know what you could do is a Spire's Lunch VR app. You could have lunch with her. Should it cost
0: For <laughs> 50, $50. No, uh, it probably should cost more.
1: More? I well, mean, it's not a lot to look. I mean, pay attention to her. You're going to look around the room and just stare at the restaurant. If it's got haptics, you're going to touch the fork. You are going to touch, you're going to pound your fist on the table out of frustration with your business. There's some real stuff here that we have to work out. This is
0: literally like a half million dollar development budget just to get the polygons right. (laughs) And then for, you know, and you're going to charge $400 for the lunch. How do we get past the part where brands come to you and go, I want them to feel like they're touching a Snickers bar? How do we get like, because that's what always happens. It's just like the most obvious, like blatant. Let's put them in the middle of the action yeah. and they can climb a
1: mountain and at the top of the mountain, there's a Dell computer. Right? Timberland <laughs> Boots gets in touch with you. Yeah. Because people need to feel like they're mountain climbing.
0: Do they get in touch with you and say, we need to figure out VR? Or do they get in touch with you and say, we want to do this mountain climbing app?
2: No, two things happen. They say, you know, here, here's the thrust of what what our campaign is for this year. These, these are the themes. we don't know what to do with it what would you suggest? And then, you know, we're, we're in the process of, like, suggesting VR to them, usually throughout. Okay. And, and in a lot of cases, depending on who's making the decision about what's going to be done, you know, if you can come up with something that's edgier and more experimental, that's that's generally a good thing. Some, somebody can take it back to their CMO and it checks the box.
0: How do you staff a VR project?
2: Uh, right now, we just use freelancers. I mean, there aren't that many agencies that just specialize in it. So, is, and depending on what thing? kind of VR do. you're doing, like you need different kinds of specialists. So, we have a network of people.
0: Is it time for people listening to this? Should they be like, should they be thinking about this?
1: Should they be like looking at this? And I getting think into so. It? I okay. mean, you know,
2: our long game is I mean, that's, that the,
1: it, that's your premise, right? I yeah. Mean, you think th- this is going to blow up?
2: I do. I, I you know, I, I'm not a demonstrative person, as Paul can. <laughs> A test and I tend to be very skeptical about things, but I, you know, I told a friend the other day, I don't think I've been this excited about a technology since I saw my first browser. Okay.
0: So that, wow. So you're, as someone who has pretty good instincts about how this stuff goes, demonstrably so, you are, you're all in on VR. Yeah. Any particular kind of viewer, any, and is there anything where you're going, they're doing it exactly right?
2: No, because I don't think anybody's doing it exactly right, you know, and things are happening so fast. I think, you know, if you'd asked people in the industry about a year ago, like when they thought there would be a material consumer adoption of VR, they would have said 2025. And that just keeps inching closer.
0: Oh, OK.
1: Yeah. I can imagine real estate is going to just take it over. I want to walk through the kitchen. For a real estate listing, like they have to have. Views. Yeah, that's already
2: that's already happening. I I don't know, yeah, like, like, that's happening. You know, really sense. high end luxury properties. Yeah, that's such a
0: natural startup yeah. too. Like drones
1: hey, are used for real estate. And, yeah, you just go to VCs and you're
0: like VR real estate, and VCs are like, <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah, and they're Let's all get like, that breakfast. They're all around that fire in the backyard <laughs> that they all have. And so, so right now. You have kind of like – I've noticed you have like a – there's a kind of creative mode and there's also a money mode. And this sounds a little bit like you're in the money mode now. You're like, okay, brands, people are going to show up. They need to spend some money, figure this out as part of their longer-term strategies. It's going to go back to the chief marketing officer and so on. Is there editorial stuff that's going to come out of this world in a big way? Are you like ready for – Yeah, I think it's –
2: I mean that's also – that's another but separate reason why it's exciting to me. I think it's really easy to do whimsical, high-concept stuff in VR in a way that you can't do with anything 2D. Like kind an of so, Alice
0: in Wonderlandy, like
2: yeah. I mean, if you look at, uh, or and there are so many things that just cross genres. So you know, right now if you get a Vive, it's going to come packaged with a few games, including one called Job Simulator, which I'm not sure if you guys have seen that. No, no. It's basically it's hard to define. It's it's is it a game or is it a comedy? It's it's intentionally. Animated in such a way where, the, you know, the, the animations look blocky, like they were made in AutoCAD in okay. 1988. But it's, it's entirely comedy driven. There's no there's nothing you can really win. You just pick a job and they show the most uh, almost office spacey, abysmal version of doing it. And it's just really funny. Sounds like the, the funny. whole point of it is just a yeah. laugh. Like, so you just
0: will hang out in that experience.
2: And this is
1: where we in. are. I mean, it's like the early websites, right? Like they were just kind of like, "What did you do here?" Well,
0: there was a variety, <laughs> right? It was like the guy who was really into mushrooms. Yeah.
1: and went all in and
0: shared it. So it sounds yeah. like there'll be some of that. Like it's yeah, like the... it's early days.
1: A lot the of pros a, haven't
0: showed up yet. It's going to be a lot of aquarium apps. I'm assuming. I'm going to. I'm assuming like a, right. lot, a lot, lot of, of underwater like 3D fish kind of things. Yeah.
2: Well, you see a lot of like 360 video underwater because yeah. people just want to see whatever they They want can to go underwater. Yeah. Are <laughs> right.
1: we ta- are we allowed to talk about the Gawker? Sure. Well, you're not connected to it in any way at this point. No. What's your What's your take on it? The whole Gawker. Uh, I wrote a
2: little bit about it. It's funny, whenever it came out that Teal was backing it, you know, and I had a sort of list of who I thought it could be, and I, he Did was you? my first choice. Oh, so um, you had
1: a theory that somebody was backing it.
2: Well, Denton had that theory, and initially I didn't buy it, but then when the thing came out about oh, interesting. Um, Hogan taking the one provision off the table that would have allowed Gawker to use their insurance to pay for That's it. That's the
0: thing, they, they wouldn't let him use their liability insurance. I see. Yeah. And that was a crazy move because Hogan could have possibly made more money.
1: He right? would have made more money. Anyway. Yeah. And
2: so then you say, like, okay, this is not. This is weird. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Got it. So you're thinking, okay, there's some. Somebody's pulling strings here.
2: Yeah.
0: And you, you made a point in your piece on Medium that it should give anybody who is thinking or excited about working with Peter Thiel kind of a major case of the Willies. Yeah. Because he's terrifying.
2: You know, I I find him interesting, but I also just thought, you know, I called some of my friends who are in the Valley and people who've worked with him, people who are in some cases funded by him, and just to get a sense of, you know, what people were thinking. And I wouldn't say that people are necessarily in, in an overt way afraid of him, but de- there's definite reluctance to when people would tell me things, I'd be like, well, you know, a lot of people really are not supportive of this, but there's zero incentive to say that.
0: Oh, yeah, sure.
2: Uh, and I I get that, but I do think it has a silencing effect that's disturbing to me. And, and personally, you know, as somebody who's out raising money, like right now I'm doing a friends and family round, but next year we'll be doing an A round. and
0: For the insurrection.
2: Yeah, okay. and I had a friend who, who, you know, is close to Teal, who said, and he's kind of laughing when he said it, but he said, uh, you know, you should take Cocker off your CV. Yeah. And I said, uh, well, you know, there would be no point in doing that. It's not like people can't Google, but... Also, I you know I just thought, well, if it really is a problem for some people, then that's probably a decent screening mechanism. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. Wow.
0: Yeah, and I, I think the term he used was nuclear, like that it was yeah. just was it, it just he could go off at any moment. Well, it was
2: so wildly out of proportion. And I should say, like I I'm I strongly believe that what he's really angry about is not that Gawker outed him, and and you know there are a lot of people who would dispute that that's even what they did. You know, I think he was very unhappy with the Clarium reporting, and I think it probably yeah. forced some redemptions.
0: The what reporting? He had a hedge fund that that didn't do so well, and uh, they made fun of him. I mean, just it was very Gawker tone. Made fun of they make fun of everybody. No, but I mean, who knows? Who can look inside of his mind? But yeah, I, I would imagine that being publicly humiliated for a business failure is is more upsetting to him.
2: Well, also, you know, he wouldn't have any moral high ground against gawker for that because it was all pretty straightforward and it was just standard i mean it, tonally it was snarky but you yeah, know standard business reporting and yeah. they weren't the only people reporting it at the time i don't know so i i think he talks about the the outing because it's it's kind of the only thing that they wrote about him where you go and eh, maybe they shouldn't have done that
0: right know? right well no it's also um he sort of alluded, and when it, when the times came and talked to him, to um, that you know, kind of there were other people in the room, you know, virtually yeah. or on the phone, who were like, "You got to do it," and it, it, you just immediately go down a list because Gawker had a target. Like, that's the thing. Short yeah, uh, I
2: wasn't. I, I felt like I. I also have a list of who that person was. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you
1: got to after the second bottle of wine. There's just the the garbage. I mean, they the like.
0: Yeah, I guess you're right. Like you're you're around the fire. You've heard your pitches for the day. You drink that second bottle of four hundred dollar wine, the, which is actually just the cost of a nice lunch with Elizabeth Spires. Right. And um and you open that you open that wine and you're just like someone's to do something. They're about garbage. They're just monsters. You know yeah. they don't they don't respect anything that we're doing. Yeah. And here we are driving the entire global economy. Yeah. And some little blogger with a text box that we probably actually helped create can't just get in here. Can't behave himself. Can't ruin my day. Right. Yeah.
2: I also wonder if, you know, I think sometimes whenever, especially when you have successful people who are charismatic in the way that Teal is, you probably didn't have to throw a rock very far to find 30 people who, if he suggested it would be like yes you should do it just yeah. because they're yeah. suck-ups and then you Peter. know yeah yeah i think people like that end up surrounded by yes men even if they that's not their attention you know it's it bizarre happens. i mean
0: he's clearly so smart like he's clearly so freaking smart and then this whole thing it's just the whole narrative is so surreal what do you feel like watching something like that that you were intimately involved with connected with in lots of different ways but now you're from a distance what's that like just seeing all this news come out
2: I mean, it's bizarre, you know. Like I, I, there are times when it's still mind blowing to me that Gawker is a giant company. I mean, because when when I was doing it, I was literally sitting on my couch on a shitty laptop, and sure, that was it. Like there was no company, no um, colleagues. Yeah,
0: Gina Trapani works at our company, and you know, she was part of that original Kinja team, and it it feels like it was like two tables. Yeah, and now it's hundreds of people on on Fifth Avenue.
2: It's also if you'd asked seven year old me if I would have envisioned working for, much less, you know, starting a company that would be sued by Hulk Hogan in 2014 or, you know, whenever the initial suit was, I I wouldn't have known how to process it. You know, like I I grew up with Hogan as, you know, big pop culture idol in my childhood life and both of my brothers were huge fans. Our
0: childhood was Hulk, Hulk maybe. (laughs) I mean, it was just, yeah. I remember seeing eight-year-olds, you know, striking that pose. We right. can't end on that note. No, we're not ending <laughs> on that. We note. are not so, going to end
1: on the image of Hulk Hogan. So I have two questions. Posing.
0: The first question I have is if I want to get into VR and I'm like a media person, um, aside from calling you, which will mm-hmm. will tell people how to get in touch with you in with the next question, but uh, what's is there like a trade magazine like Oculus Today or is really I quick?
2: actually think you you if you haven't done full immersion VR, you should go find the most extreme version of it that you can do and which right now if you live in New York there's a Utah-based company called The Void okay. that does. They call themselves a sort of VR amusement park company. Okay, and they're doing a an execution for Sony around the Ghostbusters movie, where you can go to Madame Tussauds and buy a ticket. It's like forty bucks a ticket or something, and they they outfit you in like full body. Oh wow! VR and you run around Apocalypse New York shooting ghosts. And Whoa. it's intense. Yeah, I mean Excellent. that that's the kind of thing where if you want to if you want to understand the, the world of difference between 360 video and full immersion, go do something like that.
0: Yeah. Is there a sort of news source that people go to in this world? There is there are
2: some trades. Uh, okay. we're actually launching a publication on Medium in July called There's Only R.
0: I kind of thought that I was going to get this answer just, I was just kind of suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There um, is Only R. Yeah, that's and it's a it's cool a word.
2: reference to when people talk about the difference between Virtual reality and augmented reality and mixed reality. You know, for the user, if they're at all convincing, it kind of doesn't matter because there is only reality. There's just the version that, you know, you buy into. So,
0: All right. I will read that. That sounds awesome. We'll make sure there's a, a link to that connected to this too. If I want to get in touch with you and talk about virtual reality. because Or like, have lunch. Or have lunch. <laughs> what do I do?
2: Uh, just email me. It's espires at theinsurrection.com.
0: Okay, and and there are there actual offices yet, or is that coming? Yeah,
2: they're actually literally across the street. Like, I could point to our no, building there right on right? uh, 26th and Broadway. So. Okay,
0: cool. <laughs> so people who want to understand this new world of virtual reality should actually just go ahead, get in touch. And... Yeah. Okay. And, those and just need... go
2: do it if you have an opportunity. Go try it.
0: Okay. All right, well, this is great. Elizabeth, thank you for coming. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. We'll talk to you soon. Especially now that we know you're in the neighborhood. (laughs) Across the street. (laughs) All right, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, you know, that was a curveball. I just want to fly around your head. Well, you can do that. Virtually. I, I think we'd have to go call a consultant and get them to help us.
1: Mm, yes yeah so that and that would be elizabeth the insurrection that's a good career pivot right there it's a fun name for a company
0: too. it is a good like i work at the insurrection yeah that is great yeah. so that was cool we really want to thank elizabeth spires for coming by and talking to us about her varied career and uh, how she does her work gutsy
1: I'll give her... That's the word that came to mind.
0: Yeah, she's just somebody who does... I just am impressed by someone who's like, there's a problem here. I'm going to create a social structure that's that awesome. will address it. That's yeah. really... I can, I'm not good at that. Most aren't good at No, that. It's, it's a really impressive skill. Yeah. So, uh, Rich, this has been... Track, track changes
1: what a name for, what a great name for a podcast you
0: came up with that name
1: we got we came up with it together
0: you came up with that name it was a good name we came up with it was on a list of names and you came up with it and then everyone was like that's the best name all of paul's names can go in the garbage yeah uh one thing that shouldn't go in the garbage is your five star ratings <laughs> <laughs> of track changes on itunes or whatever don't unsubscribe just let this pile up in your inbox and. Maybe one day you'll come back to it. Maybe, you know, just let us sort of be there as another thing giving you guilt in the giant media sphere that is your new home. Mm. My name is Paul Ford. Rich Diotti. We are Postlights co-founders. We're a nice company. Get in touch with us. You know
1: what we do by now. We build- Contact at PostLight.com.
0: Contact at postlight.com. Uh We've been getting great emails lately. Mm-hmm. So get in touch. Let us know anything you need. We yep. are here for you. Yep. Thanks.
1: Bye-bye.